This program is brought to you by Grand Valley State University. We're talking today with Mr. William Alley of Saugatuck, Michigan. Uh, the interviewer is James Smither of Grand Valley State University. Mr. Lally, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where and when were you born? I was born in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan in 1922. And uh, mm. lived in Lowell, actually, uh, almost all my uh, high school, all okay. the way through high school. All right. Now, what did your father do for a living? Uh, he uh, had his own uh, haberdashery shop. Was he able to stay in business through the 30s? Well, he, and the died, he died at, uh, at age 40 when I was about six months old. Okay. So he, he passed away very right. early, and my mother was left uh, with myself and three other siblings to raise wow. during uh, pretty rough times. And then did you come, go out to Lowell? Is that where her family was? Yes, yeah. We, our home was in Lowell, yeah. All right. She was just in the hospital in Grand Rapids. Mm -hmm. And then who did you actually stay with and grow up with? Well, my mother, mm -hmm. right? my mother, and, and the rest of them, my siblings, of course, were there. Mm -hmm. I was the youngest, and uh, they graduated and went on to college, and now, I was did, the did, last one to yeah. leave. Did she remarry? So No, she didn't. Okay. Never remarried. And did she take a job? Well, she had, uh, she didn't have a, a regular job, but she operated a, uh, uh, what we called an ice cream parlor at that time mm -hmm. in Lowell. Mm -hmm. uh, and... Uh, that was the main source of our income. All right. Yeah. Now, you finished high school? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then what year did you graduate? I graduated in 1940. Okay. Uh, now, at that point in time, uh, were you paying much attention to what was going on in the world? Did you know there was a war in Europe and that kind of thing? Well, yes. Yeah, I, I was aware of it, but it was kind of vague, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know, it was at that point, there were a lot of other things more important in my life, like football. <laughs> right. Now, what did you do once you graduated from high school? Uh, I went to the University of Michigan for two years, mm -hmm. and then I transferred to Michigan State, and I uh, uh, signed up with this uh, uh, Air Force program, I guess it was the Air Force mm -hmm. at that time, but, uh, to, because it was going to be deferred until graduation. Mm -hmm. But in uh, 43, Things got pretty bad overseas, I guess, and mm -hmm. there was a lot of guys, and they wanted <laughs> some more fighters, so they called called a bunch of us up. All right. Uh, now, do you remember how you heard about Pearl Harbor? Well, well yes, I I was home uh, listening to the radio, mm -hmm. and uh, that's there it what was. I heard about. It. And once that happened, did you figure out that you were going to wind up in it, or? Well, yes, yeah, yeah. There was. At what was point? Yeah. At what point did you sign up for this uh, Air Corps training program? Oh, I think I signed up, uh, must have been early, 1942, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Because I, I had some courses there right. uh, rel related to what I was going to be doing in the Air Force, navigation and mm -hmm. a few courses like that. Okay. Right. Uh, and so you did manage to stay on that track for about a year or so after yeah, you did yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, had you started up at Michigan State by the time you were called up? or? Yeah, I had. Yeah, I, I had been over there for, well, just almost a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, once you did get called up, where did they send you? Uh, I went to the uh, well uh, preliminary exam, I think it was in Chicago, and then they sent us to uh, 
the uh, San Antonio Aviation Cadets, Cadet Center in San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. And that's where we went through our pre-flight training. Okay. Now, what did pre-flight training consist of? Well, at, th at that point, they had uh, they they had uh, a system that was comparable to the cadet system at West Point, mm -hmm. and uh, we went through a basic training, uh, PT, physical training, and uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, 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 marching, close order drill. What sorts of people did they have uh, training you at that point? Well, they were mostly mostly enlisted men at that point. Mm -hmm. And were they older enlisted men or people who uh, had been in the no, army before the, the war? Yeah, I'd say probably middle-aged guys, most yeah. of them. Yeah. And some officers, of course, so they were uh, officers on their base. Okay. Now, at that stage, uh, did they were they already trying to weed people out or sort out who they wanted to go forward, or were they well, mostly Well, we went through a lot through? of testing at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of testing, and I. I to the, uh, with the intent of weeding people out, I guess, okay. at that point. Now, were these uh, things like physical or vision tests or aptitude tests? Yeah, or? aptitude, vision, uh, reflexes, mm -hmm. depth perception tests. All right. Uh, and you, I guess, got through all of those, I did. okay? Yeah, I all right. Close, yeah. uh, about how long did they have you uh, doing I think we were there, uh, what, uh, let's see, uh, January? Uh, I think we were there about four or five months, I think. Mm -hmm. And where did you go from there? Well, then, then from there I went, uh, uh, I got classified as, as, as for pilot training and mm -hmm. went to, uh, to basic uh, flight training in Ballinger, Texas, small town. Mm -hmm. They had a number of uh, uh, fields spread out all over Texas right. that were operated in, under this system. Okay. And I had to go to Ballinger. And a good little guy there was a uh, he was a civilian, but he was an instructor, mm -hmm. and uh, he got me through flight training. All right. <laughs> Primary. <laughs> what kind of aircraft did they start you in? Uh, this was a PT-19A. It was a it's a low wing uh, single or uh, inline engine. Mm -hmm. It's a very stable aircraft. It had wide landing gear, and so you could make a few mistakes in it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, was it a two seater? Would the two seater the instructor would, would go up with yeah, you? Yeah, he would sit in the back and. Uh, yeah. Uh, now I guess one. Back up a little bit. What had motivated you to choose the Air Corps in the first place? Well, I, I guess I, I had I was familiar enough with what was going on, and I had decided that I did not want to be laying around in a trench any place. Mm -hmm. you know, uh, being a foot soldier was not my idea of, of the best way to fight the war. Okay. And I suppose there's a romance of uh, you know flying, and yeah, I wanted to fly. And, mm -hmm. All right. So, what was it like the first time you actually go up there in one of these airplanes? Well, it, it was kind of exciting and a little frightening because I hadn't, I hadn't, I think I had been up once or twice maybe, you know, mm -hmm. for a 30, 40 minute ride. Yeah. You know, to get up and realize that you were actually going to be in control of this piece of equipment mm -hmm. <laughs> that was going to keep you up in the air. Uh, it was, uh, until you got familiar with it, it was a little, little uneasy, but mm -hmm. as time went by, you quickly adapted to it. Right. Now, about how many guys were sort of at, at Ballinger with you? I mean, was there a kind of oh, group of you going through together? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah, there were, uh, well, I, we, were in a, we were in a flight, and I think there were, what, maybe 16, 16 guys in our flight. And then, of course, there were probably, I don't know how many flights, and then there was a squadron. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, totally, I don't know how many there were. But they had quite a few guys going oh, yeah, through here yeah, at this there, point. Oh, yeah, there were a lot of guys yeah. going through. 
All right. Once you finish with this first stage of flight training, what's the next step? Then you go to basic, which is a, a larger aircraft. Was again single engine. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a BT 19A. I think, uh, yeah. was that was one of the fairly standard trainers. At that yes, point. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They called it the multi vibrator. It was mm -hmm. uh, all metal and uh, it shook and rattled. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was it a pretty reliable plane? Oh, yeah, yeah. That, it, that too was a reliable piece of for training. And mm -hmm. It was pretty well designed. Okay. Now, what's sort of the point of having these different stages? Is it the, each plane becomes more difficult to, to operate or closer to what you do for real? Yeah, that's right. It's harder to operate, you know, more horsepower mm -hmm. and uh, uh, more sophisticated. Uh, we didn't, uh, we didn't, I was just thinking if we had, no, uh, we didn't have retractable landing gear on that. I mean, things like retractable mm -hmm. landing gears or, uh, you know, more, in, more instrumentation. Right. Now, in these first couple of stages here, um, were there a lot of accidents? Were people crashing the planes, or were they? Well, when you say a lot, I, <laughs> I, there were a few. Mm -hmm. Let's put it that way. There, you know, there's bound to be. I mean, guys make mistakes. Sure. And, uh, yeah. yeah, a certain amount of that, but yeah. but most of the people are getting through at this yeah. point and, yeah. and doing well enough. Yeah. Now, one interesting part, I think, when I was going through uh, uh, primary flight training. We had a uh, group going through that were already officers, mm -hmm. and they were maybe artillery, but they were going through in flight training. Right. And we had some guys that were uh, paratroopers that were there, that were there uh, training. And it was interesting that if anything would go wrong with the airplane, they'd just jump out. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they had no fear, you know, they, they, had, they had the training. So, you know, if they would choke or the thing would stall or something, they just, you know, rather than trying to figure it out, they, some of these guys would just jump out. So that was kind of an interesting side of what was right. going on with the right. training. Now, now, was the second stage, was that Ballinger or was that someplace that else? That was Ballinger, yeah, the original uh, okay. primary training. So you've got, but, but, the, but the second stage, when you're in the BT-19s, yeah. is that still there too? No, no, the, no, I didn't have any officers going through. Okay. Well, I, I'm just following your stuff through, I mean, because yeah. they tend to, in a lot of cases, people who do flight training go to a lot of different places while they're trained. Yeah. So you're Ballinger first, and then where do you go next? Uh, San Angelo, mm -hmm. and then uh, I went to uh, basic training at uh, Lubbock, mm -hmm. Lubbock, Texas. All right. And that was twin engine. Okay. Now at this point, are you already being directed toward bombers? Is that where you're headed, or do you not know yet? Uh, well, yeah, we knew that. <laughs> yeah, I think we got. Yeah, the classification came out uh, at the end of uh, basic training. Mm-hmm. Then you were assigned either into fighter groups or uh, light light attack bombers mm -hmm. or, or heavy bombardment. Right. And of course, everybody wanted to be in fighters. You know, mm -hmm. everybody wanted to fly P fifty ones, be hot pilot. You know, and so it's kind of a downer. You know, when you get when you get assigned to to <laughs> heavy bombardment, it sounds very good. I think I met one fellow who actually wanted to go into bombers, but, but yeah. most of the rest of them. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, he's an exception. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, now, the flying a twin-engine plane, how was that different from the single-engine one? Well, you know, you had uh, double responsibilities, two, uh, two engines instead of one, and, uh, you know, the synchronization and all those kind of things that, mm -hmm. that you have when you, when you have two engines. And we had retractable landing gear and, uh, you know, more, it's still more sophistication uh, on, uh, on the instruments mm -hmm. and those kind of things. All right. Uh, and then we get into, uh, we get into, uh, Instrument flying, you know, flying, blind flying. Mm -hmm. So that was. Uh, Did you do night flying as part of the training? Yes, get night flying. 
Yeah, and then formation flying also, that was part of it. All right. Now, by the time you get through this stage, about how long now have you been in training between the different yeah, single-engine planes and now yeah, these, yeah. these twin-engine ones? Twelve months? No, no, it wasn't twelve months. Uh, I went in forty-three. Well, it was it was close to twelve months. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then, what's the next step after that? Well, at that well, at that point, I I graduated, got mm -hmm. my got my wings, right. and uh, was commissioned. Did they give you a furlough at that point? Yes. Or? Then I got a furlough and came home, visited my folks, mm -hmm. and my family, and uh, everybody <laughs> around. Yeah, so everybody. Then I okay. uh, went back and got assigned to a, a crew flight. Mm -hmm. Got assigned to a crew that was already in the staging area. That means that this crew had been together, with the exception of me, who was a co-pilot, mm -hmm. uh, for quite a while. And they'd been, they had gone through a lot of training. I got there at kind of the final stages of this training. Uh, so I didn't get, I didn't have a whole lot of experience with the aircraft before I went overseas. Mm -hmm. Okay. That seems a little bit unusual because I know that they would have pilots and navigators and some of the officers in the crew might be together and then the enlisted men who were the gunners and so forth yeah. get added to it. Yeah. But to have all of them together and that add one more felt, were you replacing somebody? Or? No, I, I, I don't know. I don't think mm -hmm. so. I, I didn't. I wasn't aware I was. Okay. But, but they had been together now. How long the enlisted men had been there, I'm not sure. But when I got there, the crew was already formed up. All right. Uh, and how easy was it for you to fit in with that group when you got there? Uh, well, to make the, the regular relationship was okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't, again, I didn't get a chance to get a lot of training because they were still training the pilot. Right. You know, they, he was still under the gun to get, to get checked out before they went overseas. So mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time up the nose just riding around at that point. All right. Uh, but did you get, what kind of a plane were they in at that point? That was a B-17. All right. Yeah. And did you get a chance to fly it yourself? Oh, yeah. Yeah, some, but not, not nearly to the extent that, Certainly, that the pilot had, or that, right. I would, that I thought maybe I should have had, mm -hmm. but they kept saying, you know, you can learn, uh, you can learn uh, in combat. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lucky you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now, where were they, where were you doing this training? Was this still in Texas, or was yes? Some, yeah. Well, no. Th this was in. Uh, uh, no, we went out to uh, uh, Delhart. Delhart. Was Oklahoma, I think. Okay. It was someplace in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I think. No, that was Dallas, Texas. Someplace in Oklahoma. I can't remember the name of the place. Right? Okay. Yeah. I wasn't there that long. All right. But basically, your your whole training is all in that particular chunk of the country yeah. in a network of bases designed to get crews trained yep. and ready to go. Yeah. That, that was. Uh, all right. Now, at what point do you get your orders to actually go overseas? Well, I don't know. I think, geez, I hadn't been there very long, and. You know, they cut the orders to go, and I, I, hadn't been, I time right there is a little confusing. I can't remember, but I hadn't, I hadn't been on the aircraft all that long, and mm -hmm. we, we headed over. Okay. Now, were you going over before or after the D-Day landings and that kind of thing? Oh, this was in, uh, this was April of. Forty-four. Uh, Forty-four. Okay, so a little bit before still. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, how did they get you across the ocean? We went on transport. Yeah. All right. And what kind of transport were you on? Oh. Just a regular old troop transport, I guess. I forget mm -hmm. it was one of the, 
I guess, one of the luxury ships at one point. Okay. One of the smaller luxury ships, yeah. they turned into a... But a converted liner rather yeah. than a, a victory ship or something yeah. like that. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. Right. yeah. And, and did you sail in a convoy? Or by yes, yourself? there was a convoy. All right. And what do you remember about the crossing? Uh, the food was pretty good, I remember, mm -hmm. but the conditions were pretty crowded. <laughs> Uh, yeah, was, what was the weather like? Uh, we had a pretty good crossing. I, I don't remember getting sick. Mm -hmm. yeah. And were you zigzagging and doing anti stuff? Yeah, doing stuff? The, yeah, the tactics, uh, evasive tactics. Yeah. And were there any submarine scares in the crossing? Uh, no, we didn't have any. We were lucky, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay, well, by that time, it was getting more rare. Yep. Uh, but did you notice things like patrol aircraft overhead or anything uh, like that? No, there? I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't know those were. All right. Getting escort, air escorted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, where did you wind up landing? Uh, so you did you go to Scotland or somewhere in England? Or oh, we landed in England, yeah. At, uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember where we landed. In a big place like Liverpool or someplace smaller? Uh, no, I think it was one of the smaller ports. Was it Southampton? I can't remember. Well, that anyway, was, we yeah. got, we got, then we got assigned to... Uh, the 92nd Bond Group. Mm -hmm. I guess we had already been assigned there, but we got, you know, finally got into the, actually where the group was stationed. All right. Up, and that was uh, near Northampton. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, were you coming in basically as a replacement crew to join the group? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There were, <laughs> there was a very high turnover at that point. Mm -hmm. They were losing aircraft. Every day they were losing hundreds of aircraft. Mm -hmm. Now, what was the, the facility like at the base there? Well, it was a, it was a small field, uh, you know, kind of out in a rural area. Mm -hmm. they, they had them spotted all over England. There were bases all over England. Yep. Yeah. So it was just one squadron there or a whole group there? Uh, or? Uh, our our uh, squadron was there. Okay. Uh, and <clears throat> or I should say my, our group, our bomb group, the 92nd right. bomb group. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, was there a village around or were there locals? Yeah, there, there was a small village nearby. wasn't too far from Northampton. I know when we mm -hmm. went into town, we went into Northampton, but there was a small village there. Mm -hmm. And did you see much of the civilian population in England while you were there? No, uh, no, because we got there, got there fairly uh, maybe the second week in April, mm -hmm. and then our first mission was on April 29th. Mm -hmm. uh, we were uh, because we were fairly new. Uh, we were not scheduled to go. We were scheduled to go as a fill-in, mm -hmm. and uh, didn't have the best aircraft in the world, you know, because we were not. So you were taking an, an older plane or one yeah, that had been right. on missions already. Yeah, yeah. So all right. So the mission that day was Berlin, and everybody, you know, gasped when they said Berlin because mm -hmm. at that point uh, they didn't have air cover except right. over the channel. Right. And uh, <laughs> everybody sucks yet when they say that Berlin. Anyway, when they when we finally formed up, uh, the old guys that had the experience, if they had anything go wrong, they would abort the mission, mm -hmm. and then we were there to fill in. Of course, that's what right. happened to us. So we got we got we filled in, and uh, we had I think we had a little engine trouble going in, and we got then we got to the target, we got hit pretty heavy. That Berlin was very, very heavily defended okay. at that point. Well, what was the, the, the flight over like? Were you taking <laughs> flak or running into fighters before you got to Berlin? Well, not, we didn't, no, we didn't, uh, we didn't see many, f uh, much flak or fighters till we got to the target, but then the, mm -hmm. the target was a, a, 
mess, I would say. <laughs> Everything they told me was going to be, you know, they said you could walk on the flak and you almost could. It was black all over. This stuff was raining and you could hear it banging on the side. And did your you manage did your plane kind of stay in its formation? Yeah, we yeah we we made the I think we, we yeah we had lost an engine but we we could we stayed in the formation uh, to make the the bombing run mm -hmm. got rid of the the bombs and and made the turn and started back and we were not very long I think we got hit again and we had to keep dropping back further and further and further uh, it was losing altitude and uh, getting lower and lower and mm -hmm. <laughs> trying to. I can remember we were down um, in maybe 3,000 feet, and a guy in a P-47 came, and he's you know he's right out here on our wing, mm -hmm. and I said you could just stick that wing underneath us for a yeah. little bit, and get us into the channel. That's why we just wanted to get into the channel. Mm -hmm. It was a big thing because the Air Sea Rescue at that point was they had been pretty effective right. at, at digging guys out of there, but uh, it didn't happen, and uh, we had we had to, we had to board and jump out, parachute out. And where were you at that point? Well. At, at that point, I didn't know where we were, mm -hmm. and our navigator didn't know where we were. Okay, <laughs> which was <laughs> that was a little little disconcerting. Believe me, he said he didn't know. Well, you, and I guess I can't blame him. It, uh, when you bomb, when you go into a mission like mm -hmm. that, they have a the lead navigator and the right. lead bombardier, and everybody's just flying on him. Mm -hmm. And I think you know he was kind of just probably a little paralyzed with. <laughs> Everything didn't pay a hell of a lot of attention. He didn't have to really because mm -hmm. we got to the. But when we got alone, then he really couldn't. He couldn't locate where we were. So I didn't know where we were mm -hmm. when we jumped out. When yeah. we bailed out. I mean, you, you couldn't have been too far from the town because the P forty sevens can get across the Netherlands maybe. But yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah, they were into the Netherlands at that point. Yeah, this was this Yeah, the forty seven pilot, as I said, was right there with us. But uh, so he gave us some protection for a while. Yeah. And I don't know whether that kept the fighters off from us or not, but we were lucky that they didn't jump on us because, mm -hmm. you know, that was, uh, that was uh, the, uh, usually the routine. If right. You, if you get separated, then they, mm -hmm. they jump on you. But they, we yeah. Now, had you ever parachuted before? No, I hadn't. All right. So at what point then, I mean, who decides that you have to bail out? The pilot well, the pilot finally said, yeah, we got it. We got to go in case it, we can't, you know, we're going in. Mm-hmm. So whether we're going to ride it in or going to jump out, I guess. Right. Be, yeah. And do you know about what altitude you were at? We were about, I think we were about 2,500 at that point. Okay, so yeah. that's not a whole lot no, of margin no, for error. No, we didn't have a lot of air, under, uh, air underneath us, no, at that point. Okay. Yeah. In All fact, right. we, were, we were getting, I think we were getting ground fire as we were going to, getting down low. I think we were getting ground fire. Mm -hmm. They had these, well, they looked like, uh, kind of like windmills, but they were flak towers. Right. Kind of elevated guns. Mm -hmm. And we got a few sprinkles from them too. I think going down, so we, we were pretty well battered up. And uh, I think the only the only thing I think the uh, the, uh, the uh, top uh, turret gunner got hit with some flak. Mm -hmm. I didn't know really how bad he was. I know he was hit, mm -hmm. but uh, they were doctoring to him as we were coming down, and they put, they got him out. They, mm -hmm. they got him. Now, basically, describe then what happened. So, what, when that you bail out, were you kind of in the middle of the bunch, or one of the first, or last, or what to go? Yeah, I was next to last. The pilot, the pilot, yeah, yeah. Yep. pilot goes last, and you go yep. in front of him. Yeah. So what was that experience like then, jumping out of the plane at that point? Oh, it's kind of well. <laughs> I know either jump or you, yeah. you ride it in, so you right. you get out, mm -hmm. and it's kind of breathtaking, I'd say. <laughs> 
you know, it's, and it, we'd been instructed all this time to make a delayed jump. Mm -hmm. And I must have, I don't know, I must have counted, I don't know how long, because I, I wasn't up in the air very long. Mm -hmm. uh, I pulled the cord and the chute popped and uh, it just seemed like, well, there was a train went by and there, there was a, they have flat cars right. on the back end of those things. And I think we got a couple of bursts from them. Mm -hmm. And then I hit the ground, I was, it was that quick. Mm -hmm. And I think probably that was one of the reasons that I got I got away. Uh, they, they, I found out later they picked up everybody, uh, and the whole crew. But uh, you know we were, we were pretty well strung yeah, out. You're strung out because the plane is still moving a lot. Yeah, the plane fast yeah, and everybody's while you're bailing out one at a time. Spreading us okay. out all over. All right now. Physically, but you, you land, what kind of space or area did you land in? Well, I, I came right down on a, in a, well, right in the forest, mm -hmm. in, in some small trees, mm -hmm. and uh, my chute was hung up in the, and I, you know, they say, well, bury the chute when you get down, so yeah. I don't land there, so I'm tucking and tucking, can't get it down, so I said, get out of, the hell of there, get out of here. So I started running, and uh, I think, if I recall, our, our, I, 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 for what reason, I can't go, but I was down to my heated suit, which was, Robin Egg's blue mm -hmm. heated suit, yep. and I'm charging through the, this wooded area, and I come across this old farmer, and he's chopping wood there, and he must, you know, he saw me, and God, mm -hmm. he must have been paralyzed, and I, I'm saying, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, Parlez vous Francais, no, 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 he didn't want anything to do with it. Right. So then I took off and kept running, and uh, it stayed in the forest uh, until nightfall, mm -hmm. and well, just, just before nightfall, I was, had, I had found a, I'd seen, I'd seen a house, and I, there's a big wooded area. I'd had, I was hunkered down under mm -hmm. a, a pine tree there, and the, I could see the guy came out of the house, and I'm looking at, geez, bang, bang, bang. He started firing. I thought, holy smokes! Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he apparently was shooting birds or something because mm -hmm. he finally went back in the house. And and uh, when it got dark, then I started to walk again. And Kept walking and did you have a compass or anything? Did you know? No, no? I had, didn't have a compass. Didn't have anything. So I just started walking. I didn't know where I was walking. But okay. Yeah. Oh, and then I got down into kind of a marshy area, and then uh, I could I could hear people talking, and it, it sounded like they were speaking German. Mm -hmm. And that was at night. And I figured, gee, you know, I must be near the mm -hmm. some outpost or something. So then I changed my direction and went the other way and finally got onto a road and I was walking along the road and it was started to rain and it was getting dark and mm -hmm. I, that I could, of course there weren't any lights there, everything was blacked out, mm -hmm. you know, and I, so I, I sensed that I was getting into a little town or something and there was a little little villa or a little house there with a covered haystack and I climbed in there mm -hmm. and uh, hunkered down for the night there and then I got up in the morning and uh, I got up in the morning, I woke up. Mm -hmm. And got into the hen house and ate a couple of raw eggs. I figured, geez, I got to eat something. You know? Yeah. Found a couple of eggs and ate those, and uh, and I just didn't know what to do. I, you know, I was looking for a newspaper or something to to find out. Mm -hmm. You got an idea was. where you were or anything yeah. else? Yeah. And I finally decided, what the heck? I said, uh, you know, I might as well just start walking. It was during the daytime, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm walking down the road, and first thing I saw was two guys coming at me. Two, Germans mm -hmm. riding the bikes, they're coming at me like this, and they went by, and I kind of uh, and they looked at me, and they rode right on by. Mm -hmm. I said they're probably going to circle around and come at me from the rear, but they never did. Mm -hmm. And I got thinking later, uh, prior to that point, early on they they had stopped uh, 
carrying sidearms. Mm -hmm. you know, the officers used to carry sidearms, mm -hmm. 45s. Yep. But they eliminated that, and I didn't have a gun. Right. But these guys probably, they might have figured that I had a gun, and they, they didn't have, they just had bayonets. They didn't mm -hmm. want to, so they didn't, they didn't want to tangle with me. So <laughs> that was lucky there. So then I kept walking, and uh, uh, a young couple went by, and then they turned around and went by, and then they, they had me, and then they pulled off to the side, and when I got up there, they motioned me to come over. Mm -hmm. And uh, through their pidgin English, they went, they said, you know, we can help you. So mm -hmm. they took me over to a farmhouse and uh, stashed me out in the woodshed there, and I got, they brought me something to eat, and mm -hmm. I met their folks, their parents came. And he said, uh, you know, stay here, and tonight somebody will come and get you. So uh, uh, I stayed there, and along about, uh, about the dusk, they, they came and they took me out in the woods. Mm -hmm. And I laid down by a big log, and they kind of covered me up with leaves, and they said, wait, wait, they'll come and get you. So it wasn't until uh, shortly after dark, this guy comes down on the bicycle, and he's whistling, whistling. And mm -hmm. And I figured, oh, this must be the guy. Yeah. So I got out, and sure enough, it was him. It was it was the guy who I, who I. Well, I owe my owe my life to because they, you know, they took me in. Mm -hmm. He rode me on his bicycle. I don't know. It seemed like it was a hundred miles right on that that damn sidebar, all night long. Finally got to his house, mm -hmm. and uh, at that point he said, uh, they, they, he said you can stay for a while here, and next day. Uh, an Englishman came. This guy had a—he had his own had had his own organization, mm -hmm. uh, and he said he couldn't help me. He gave me a good grilling about you know who's Babe Ruth and all this stuff right, to, make, right. to, to make sure I wasn't a plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he he said that uh, his organization had been rolled up. In other words, they'd been all arrested, mm -hmm. and he was on his way back to England at that time because mm -hmm. it was pretty futile. He thought to stay there, he couldn't do much. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but he said, uh, don't, don't, don't go with the Dutch underground. He said, they, they may want to move you, but don't go with them because you'll get caught if you do. Mm -hmm. So uh, I stayed with his family in the, in the Netherlands there. At that time, there was a, a young Jewish girl about 12 years old, and they'd been hiding her for uh, uh, over a year, I think. Mm -hmm. Her mother had worked with the underground. And, uh, and at that point, uh, as far as they know, she was still alive and mm -hmm. still working with the underground. This, they had this Jewish girl there. But I stayed there until, uh, well, uh, two other guys came after I hadn't been there very long. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of them was a young guy from uh, California, County Bar, and he was a P-47 pilot. Mm -hmm. And he'd had an interesting story. Do you want me to tell you what he did? Sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't want to spread it out too long. But anyway, uh, he was flying P-47s, <clears throat> and uh, he had made a pass on a, on a uh, train going through and it had to be an ammo, ammo train mm -hmm. and he, when it blew up and some of the debris uh, got up into his engine and he was stalling out so he pulled up as high as he could and rolled the plane over on his back and mm -hmm. and pulled the canopy to drop right. out and he got his foot caught underneath the rudder oh. uh, pedal mm -hmm. so he's pinned the plane is falling this way with a, mm -hmm. all that pressure and he you know and he, and he finally he tore he showed that shoe he tore it Great big slit right on that, mm -hmm. that GI shoe. Yeah, and he got out. Well, he that was he was there, and then there was a uh, another guy who was an American. I got talking with him. Come to find out 
this guy was on uh, the, was on our crew that day. He was a sub for our mm -hmm. ball turret gunner. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Wow. And then we got, his name was Gene Zielinski. He was from Chicago. And, and uh, so we got talking. I said, my God. But anyway, they had to move on because they could only house one person. Mm -hmm. So they went on with the underground and were, as far as I know, I, did, uh, I never heard anything from Connie Barr. I think I think I was in touch with Galinsky sometime, but mm -hmm. I never heard anything from Connie Barr. I never could find and track him down after the war. Mm -hmm. But uh, and then shortly after that, uh, a British guy came, and he was he was had been a Spitfire uh, pilot, and uh, he'd got he'd been shot down, and uh, not Spitfire. He was flying uh, mosquitoes, mm -hmm. and. Uh, of course, he couldn't stay there either, mm -hmm. and he 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 wanted to get back. He said he wanted to go, and I said, "Gee, I don't, I don't think I." His wife uh, was due to have a baby, and he mm -hmm. wanted to get back to England, you know. So he left, and I don't know. He came. It was sometime later uh, that he came back, mm -hmm. and then I said, uh, "Okay, I'll, I'll go with you." Mm -hmm. But some of my experiences at the house there. Uh, the Germans had taken this guy, this uh, uh, Pa Vandentop, his name was. I, I never mm -hmm. knew his name until after the war. Mm -hmm. uh, had a, he was making bicycle uh, baskets and lights out in the back. He had a mm -hmm. concert hut back there. Mm -hmm. And the Germans had taken it over and they were storing JU-88 engines in there. Wow. And they're back and forth every day going by. Mm -hmm. and once, once in a while they would knock on the door and, try, and come in the house there. And this, the gal, this, she would just read them out. I'm telling you, she would you know, get them out of the house, get them out of the house. Mm -hmm. They never, they never came in. And they, uh, he had, uh, in his living room, he had pulled back the, the rug and there was a big trap door and he went down there and this guy had, he had cognac, he had a, he had a mm -hmm. motorcycle down there, <laughs> cigars, all the, all the nice things of life he had, he had down there. But it was interesting and they had a, uh, they had a radio up in kind of a bulkhead mm -hmm. that, that we listened to BBC at night. And I went back to that house after the war, and that was, this was um, a few years ago. And uh, they told me that they had never found that radio. Mm -hmm. In fact, the Germans had taken over, finally taken over the house as a command post, and mm -hmm. they still never found that radio. That radio was there all that time. Uh, do you know if the Jewish girl stayed there the whole time, or if she? Uh, well, yeah, she did. Uh, she. Uh, well, that's a whole other story too. Uh, that's. Uh, yeah, she. Uh, survived and I think moved on for probably I don't know other places, mm -hmm. but she survived the war. Mm -hmm. And when we were over there, uh, last time I went back to the house and I visited the son who was there, the the father and the and. The, Mother had died, mm -hmm. and uh, he told me about Edith, this Jewish girl. Mm -hmm. He said, "Yeah, she's down in uh, where's she living, Nijmegen or someplace." Mm -hmm. And I called up, yeah. and there she is. Mm -hmm. So we went down and visited her, and we have since had her over here. She's mm -hmm. come over here a couple of times. Mm -hmm. She has a daughter in California. Uh, her mother, uh, she found out that her mother, and I don't know why they ever told her this. The mother had been uh, interrogated by the Gestapo and shoved down the stairs and brutally treated. Mm -hmm. uh, and then they put her on the train, last train to Auschwitz, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was a real sad story to find to find out. But even then, she was glad to have closure on it. Right. It was sometime later. But it, was, it was years later that she found out. 
And do you know yeah. what part of the Netherlands you were in? Were you able to figure that out then? Uh, yeah. You went there, so you went. Yeah, yeah we're, it was kind of up in the, uh, about the middle, about the middle of the, of the country. Was, uh, the largest city was uh, Appledorn, mm -hmm. and there was this, uh, the, the little village we were uh, in where it was Strew, and that's where the plane went down shortly, uh, just a little bit beyond the, that, the town there. Mm -hmm. It crashed into a barn, I guess. Right. Fortunately, nobody was, didn't kill anybody. We're glad to find that out anyway. Now, was there a lot? Was there a fair amount of traffic of Dutch people going in and out of the house? I mean, they have friends, neighbors, things like that. Uh, yeah, but not a lot. I mean, there wasn't a lot of socializing. Yeah. Uh, if if we got if we got an alert that they were going to do a, a shake down the houses, then we would leave mm -hmm. and go to another house, another safe house, maybe for mm -hmm. overnight until things quieted down. Then we then we would come back. So, about how long did you spend there? Let's see. Yeah. April, uh, from April to August. Okay. Yeah, All right, and then August you finally decide that you're going yeah, to get I, out. Yeah, this Englishman came along mm -hmm. and said, yeah, i got to get back. He said, I'm going. I said, well, okay, we'll go with you. And they put us on, of course, we had civilian clothes mm -hmm. and papers, and, uh, and uh, they put us on bikes, and we rode to, uh, we go to, Utrecht or Nijmegen, I forget the name of the mm -hmm. town. And then we went over there, took a train, and we went down to, uh, took the train down to southern Holland. Mm -hmm. I could look those names, I can't really write on. And we stayed overnight there, and then uh, we went into Antwerp. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, normally what happens, they, you probably know, but from people that might not know, the underground works by uh, not knowing anyone else in the organization. Mm -hmm. They take you to a spot and they leave right. you. Somebody comes and picks you up mm -hmm. and nobody knows who the other right. link is so they can't go through and scoop up everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, <sighs> we didn't know about what had happened. They had cut the link down there. They had mm -hmm. arrested people in Antwerp and they had inserted two of their agents. Right. Two, a couple of gals. Uh, and. So uh, we were there that night, and they said, uh, yeah, we're going to try to get you down to the Skeld Islands, and there's mm -hmm. a boat down there, da-da-da. They had a nice story about how mm -hmm. we were going to get out of there. And so the next day, they said, well, come on, we've got we to gotta go. So we went downtown in Antwerp, and we were walking with these uh, two guys, and they took us in a kind of was a warehouse building, I mean, and they kind of separated us. And one guy was talking to me, and the other guy was talking to the Englishman. Which I suppose it should have alerted us, mm -hmm. but uh, you know he kind of you know trying to uh, not be too pointed, but find out where we'd been and mm -hmm. get some names and that kind of thing mm -hmm. without being too suspicious, which I should have been more suspicious than I was. And uh, he, so they interviewed us for I don't know, interrogated us for quite a while. And then then we left and we were walking along uh, one of the streets and uh, I looked down and there was. Uh, window at level, uh, uh, walk level, mm -hmm. and I could see there were a lot of Germans in that particular building. Mm -hmm. And we went and we went right in that building. It was a double door. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, we didn't go through the second door. We went upstairs and this, this, the guys were saying to these guys, wow, this is really close. He said, well, you know, the closer we get to these people, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> the less they look for you, so yeah. don't worry. Well, he did, then they started interrogating again, you know, mm -hmm. more, and then he got a little more a little, more, <laughs> a little more rough about it. He kind of started shoving us around and saying, come on, you guys, you know, you're somebody in clothes. And could be 
trouble for you. Well, I don't know, he didn't tell me anything. He said, well, come on, we'll, we'll go on. And so he went down, instead of going outside, he turned inside, and then, of course, they, mm -hmm. they, we were right there, right in, the, right in the middle of them. And then the guy said, you guys would believe anything. And I said, mm -hmm. yeah, geez, we are dumb, aren't we? <laughs> mm -hmm. But you hadn't told him a whole heck of a lot. So. <laughs> no, I hadn't. No. And, uh, and what I, the information I had, other than from the underground, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the, what my military information would have mm -hmm. been way out of date. They were, they were, I think the only thing they were interested in, apparently, is, is uh, trying to account for everybody in the crew. Like, you know, right. this plane went down on such and such a date. We got nine members. Where's mm -hmm. the 10th guy? They're, they're trying to sure that they were uh, that sort of thing yeah that and trying to catch up with the rest of the underground yeah yeah that's right yeah well that's true yeah yeah all right so this is sort of August of 44 then so it's uh, yeah. probably so it's a little right around the time probably when the Americans British finally break out of Normandy but they're not up in that part oh, of the no, 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 area no. Yet. this this is 44 yeah 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 well oh, in Normandy yeah oh but, the, but they hadn't gotten up to where you were yet because no. that's gonna be no, September no. I mean, October this before the invasion this is 44. 44, well, the invasion's in April, June. April, four, yeah, this is April. Well, that's why you're still in but, but by the time you left there, though, you said it was August. By the time you left the, the, the place you were staying. In other words, you would crash in April. Yeah. And then you're there for... Till for, August, yeah. If, if you're there till August, well, okay, then D-Day has happened, and you've got allies down in Normandy. Oh, oh. That's still some ways away from the Netherlands, though. Yes, I see. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're fitting it. So the Germans at least are aware of what's going on, and okay, because I guess while you were staying in in that house and you could listen to the BBC, so <clears> you would heard that there were the D-Day landings and those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't seem to be doing a very good job of getting anywhere near. No, you. they were. Yeah, they were not. Uh, yeah, well, they get back down there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, it was bad. Okay. Yeah, now at this point, now you're at. Up to this point, had you been still been dealing with, with Dutch people, as far as you can tell, or were they Germans? Just well, they, this this girl was a uh, she was a uh, Belgian. Mm -hmm. In fact, I uh, I, had, I got quite a bit of information about her after the war. She was uh, she was tried three different times mm -hmm. uh, for aiding the enemy and yep. was sentenced to be executed. Mm -hmm. Never happened. I guess she got went through the whole thing and got out at the end, still still alive. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, but now you're in the hands of the Germans at this yeah. point. Yeah. And so so then we go through the the uh, POW thing. Well, did they take a shot at interrogating? Oh yeah, people? yeah, that's right. They yeah they they uh, well first of all uh, first of all they uh, they <laughs> strangely enough. They gave you this, these forms to say, well, if you want to get Red Cross parcels, you know, fill out the forms. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they got an awful lot of information from them. Mm -hmm. But then again, they, uh, when I was in solitary for a while, and, you know, they pull you out and interrogate you. But again, the, I didn't have any, mm -hmm. I didn't give them any information, yeah. but I didn't have any information. Right. When they found out that I had been down that long, that mm -hmm. they just said, well, because it was amazing to find out uh, at that point, uh, how good their intelligence was because some of the guys were there had just maybe gotten shot down the day before mm -hmm. and these guys these Germans were telling these guys what was happening on their base mm -hmm. the day they left 
Yeah. He said, well, you know, with the, the, the colonel, he got in a fight with this guy. Mm -hmm. da, 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 how did that come out? These guys are amazed, you know. Gee, their intelligence was fantastic. Just amazing, their intelligence. Yeah, although most of it must have been from what they got out of the flyers, because the German spy network in England wasn't very effective. Well, it must have been. Well, they got something from someplace. Anyway. Yeah, they were getting it from someplace. All right. Uh, At least on, on this one or two occasions they did, anyway. Okay. Now, how long before they pack you off to Germany? Uh, I think it was uh, probably within a week. I was, mm -hmm. you know, I was sent out to camp. Okay. Out now, camp. did they uh, put you into a uniform or something like that, or were you still in the clothes that they caught you? Yeah, I, we still had the clothes. Yeah, yeah. But then when we get to the base, uh, well, yeah, I, I'm still in the civilian clothes. Mm -hmm. Then, but when we get to the Stalag Luft, then we got mm -hmm. clothes, GI clothes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, do you know which Stalag you went to or where it was? Stalag Luft, when I was at uh, 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 Breslau, which mm -hmm. is about 90 miles south and east of Berlin. Yeah, it's in Poland the, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, it's Poland. Yeah, yeah. So we were very near the, the Eastern Front. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So, uh, now, how did they take you, how did they get you over there? Did they, you on a train, or what did they do? They had uh, the vestiges of World War One, forty and eight boxcars, mm -hmm. and they put about sixty or seventy of us in there, mm -hmm. all jammed up. You couldn't even hardly move. Right. Yeah. You know, it was terrible. You couldn't. Yeah. And about how long did it take to, to, to get where you were uh, going? I think it there it took us. Uh, I think it took us a day, two days, I think, to get over there. I'm mean, a day in a. Day and a night. And were you traveling during the day? Yeah, sometimes. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because there were but, risks of being hit by aircraft. Yeah, and like that, that was always about that because they didn't really care about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they were not concerned. But uh, I think the fact that if there was any traffic going on, we were the last uh, product to be moved, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, if they had armaments moving, or then right. we, we got hung up here, got hung up there. So it took us longer probably than if we just gone over. All right, so you, you, you get then to where you're going. Does the, does the train actually get up to the gates of the camp, or where do you have uh, work? Close by, yeah, I can't remember. Mm -hmm. Close enough so that they march us over to where we where we got to go. Yeah. Were there men among you who were wounded at that point, or hurt uh, feeling out? Or? Uh, well, yeah, there were guys, I mean, that had, had were wounded that had some treatment. Yeah. You know, there were guys with, particularly with burns that, uh, you know, had, had, were very disfigured. Mm-hmm. I mean, they'd given probably some treatment, but not very much. So. But they're all ones who can still walk. And yeah, themselves yeah, at that point. yeah, yeah. All right. Was, yeah. Uh, what was your first impression of, of the lift stall when you got there? Oh, it's, I see all these guys looking over, <laughs> shouting at you. You know, where mm -hmm. you guys been? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. That's when I. That's when I uh, found out that the rest of the, at least, the, well, I found out from there. The other officers, that mm -hmm. everybody in the crew had gotten out. Okay. Okay. And then this was a camp specifically for officers. Yes, it was an officers' camp. Yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, so must have been. What was the, the, the physical layout or setup of the place? Well, it was a you know big barbed wire uh, enclosure with uh, with the, the uh, turrets, light turrets all around, mm -hmm. and uh, gun emplacements, and what's uh, called wire. And, right. Electrified wire and all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Pretty typical, as you see. And, uh, 
in the movies. Right. Yeah. And then when you come in, what happens to you? Do they indoctrinate you or orient you or just? Oh yeah. You well, yeah. S somewhat. You know, they they give you a card and uh, or they make up a card. I should say, which I finally I got my card before mm -hmm. we left. Out of that but uh, you know your data, mm -hmm. date of birth, and all that kind of stuff. But do they tell you what the rules of the camp are and that kind of thing? Well, yeah, they tell you that. They, you know, just keep your mouth shut, <laughs> pretty much, you know. But I mean, do the Germans tell you? Do they give oh, you instructions? Uh, not much, no. no, no. They just kind of you, really, you. you really, you can, you can look around and tell what, you know, what you're not supposed to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. right. And uh, I had, uh, before we had gotten there, uh, the I think it was the Can yeah, Canadians had. Uh, had an unsuccessful tunneling out. They had tunneled out and come up short of the, uh, not too far from the, uh, from the from perimeter fence. Mm -hmm. And I think they, uh, I think they executed 50 guys, 50 German or 50 Canadians. Mm -hmm. I think that. And that was a real, real shock to everybody because we thought they were going to. Certainly, we thought they had been that by abiding by the Geneva Convention. Mm -hmm. And then when that happened, I don't know. So the escape activities at that point really, uh, uh, you know, the, the COs are saying, nah, we're not going to mm -hmm. do much now. I mean, you know, it's too risky. Mm -hmm. And we were, we were a hell of a long ways from any place out there anyway. Yeah. anyway yeah. So. <clears throat> so, so what did you actually do in the camp? I mean, did they have things that you were supposed to do or work you had to do or? Yeah, well, uh, it, was, it was pretty much uh, uh, kind of looking after yourself and... Uh, Playing cards, uh, chewing the fat, didn't have a lot to do. We didn't have mm -hmm. a lot to work to. Unfortunately, the enlisted guys were getting out. Uh, they were going out into the, you know, the fields to work, mm -hmm. and they were doing a lot of trading with the civilians. Mm -hmm. Like you know, they they have cigarettes, they get eggs, and a whole bunch of stuff like that. Uh, we didn't have that opportunity because we couldn't get out and talk to them. Mm -hmm. uh, once in a while, somebody would develop a, a strange. Uh, contrast to between the Americans and the British. The British camp was right next to ours. Mm -hmm. And it seemed that if an American got a contact, like some guy or gal was bringing him eggs or something, you know, he wouldn't tell anybody about it. He just, mm -hmm. you know. British got a hold of it. They would, uh, you know, they pretty well spread it around as much as they right. could. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's doggy dog with us, mm -hmm. our boys. And then right. British seemed to have more of a communal interest than we did. Now, were there other officers from your own crew that were there with you? Yeah, I didn't see much of them because they were in a different barracks in a mm -hmm. different location. But they were—they had—I saw them when we were there. Yeah. Okay. So, how were you organizing? They're putting in individual barracks, or yeah, there were. Uh, uh, let's see. Yeah, the regular, the regular barracks, and gosh, I don't know how many rooms there were. I think there were. Let's see. There must have been three, six, nine, twelve. There must have been. 12 guys in our room mm -hmm. uh, with triple triple bunks, right? Uh, straw mattresses, mm -hmm. uh, wooden planks for for a mattress. And, uh, and now, were these stove? The, stove. The, okay, it was a stove. Yeah. Um, what kind of food did you have? Well, uh, the Germans didn't give us much. Mm -hmm. They they gave us they, I think uh, soup and blood sausage and shorts for black bread. Mm -hmm. That. Uh, In fact, uh, I, I guess I had my first encounter with with the, the Schwarzburg was in the uh, when the prison in Antwerp. Mm -hmm. They gave us 
they were, we were in the German, of course they had taken over. Mm -hmm. It was St. Giles Prison that they had mm -hmm. taken over for a military prison. And they, they, that was the first time I'd been in a plane. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I couldn't eat it. But, you know, in a few days, <laughs> it looks pretty good. Yeah. But that's about what they, just about what they gave us. Uh, if it hadn't been for the Red Cross food, I, it would have been pretty bleak, I think. Okay. Now, how did the Red Cross operate in the camp? What could they do? Well, they they uh, delivered the Red Cross parcels, mm -hmm. and uh, the parcels had uh, uh, things like uh, flour and uh, uh, candy and chocolate bars and uh, prune dip and mm -hmm. uh, once in a while a pair of gloves and sometimes a sweater. <laughs> right. and, uh, and where were these from? Uh, they were, I think they were all coming out of Switzerland, I okay. think. I think. I know at one time they were, mm -hmm. because well, later on, when we were over in Nuremberg, I know that's, that's where they were coming from. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. So, you're they, so you said Nuremberg. So were you moved from that camp eventually? Yeah. The Russians got close? Did yeah. you leave? Uh, or? Yeah, I think it was, uh, yeah, the, uh, I've written that date down someplace. Let me just look and see what they paid. Yeah, it was January 30th, 1945. 1945, yeah. And the Russians, we could hear them coming for days. We mm -hmm. could hear the artillery, artillery. You know, right. Booming out there. But then the, the, on that particular night, they came in, right in the middle of the night, and it was cold. Jeez, it was cold, mm -hmm. way below zero. And they said, we're moving you. And, uh, you know, guys were in a panic. Mm -hmm. Pack whatever we could. We didn't have much to pack, of right. course, anything that was warm. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, some guys were, they were knocking the beds apart and making kind of sleds out of the some of the petitions that they mm -hmm. could pull stuff on. And, and so we started out in the middle of the night and uh, and we marched. Uh, actually, it was 24, 48 hours before we actually got. Uh, and we were out, you know, for two days and mm -hmm. a couple of nights there. And uh, guys, a lot of guys, a lot of guys perished. And they just too weak to go on. Mm -hmm. At one point, I, I know at one point, uh, uh, some of the guys were carrying uh, the German bicycles. The, of course, the guards, the guard, mm -hmm. German guards are old guys. You know, yeah. They're old Volkstone guys. And it just got kind of a survival of the fittest you mm -hmm. know, to get along. So they were actually carrying their bikes for them at one time. And then we finally got into uh, this one town and uh, we got into an old uh, pottery factory mm -hmm. and it was hot in there. Oh man. That feel mm. good. That was about this much dust on yeah. the floor. Everybody just flopped out of this dust. But it felt so good. So we, we stayed around there, and then they came, and we marched again, and over to uh, so I can't remember. And then they put us on train again, and this, and we went from there. <coughs> we went all the way over to Nuremberg. That was way, mm. way, way up and around. We right. to Nuremberg, and uh, you know we we left a trail of tin cans and get all. Mm -hmm. across Germany. We said, well, this is, this is the only thing we can do to mm -hmm. square up with them. But it, it, was, it, was, it was really miserable, that trip. But yeah. then, we, then we got to Nuremberg, and of course, at that point, uh, the Germans were in pretty bad straits. They didn't right. have a lot, of, uh, a lot of time for taking care of us or supplying food or anything. So mm -hmm. things got really tight, and we started to run out of Red Cross food. And they came in and asked for volunteers uh, because to go down to Switzerland and drive truck, uh, trucks back with food. Mm -hmm. Some guys, you know, that were truck drivers went down and actually 
volunteered and drove the trucks back up. Otherwise, we would have starved to death there because mm -hmm. they were just, you know, and our guys were knocking out anything, anything that moved on the road. My right. guys, you know, it's 50 months or whatever. Yeah, because now you're you're in February and March and yeah. that kind of thing, oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and they're coming. Yeah. Uh, how did the sort of the the attitude of the Germans themselves change towards you, or how they treated you, or who you were dealing uh, with? I didn't notice it. No, mm -hmm. I, I, no, I, I didn't run into. Only a couple times did I run into kind of you know guys hitting people in, in the head with a butts of rifle, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, course when we were at camp, you know, if the civilians would go by, they'd spit and, you know, mm -hmm. curse at us and that kind of thing, you know, from tear figures and gangsters and all that kind of stuff. You got a lot of that stuff. But, uh, Did the guards mostly kind of act as if they were doing a job rather than anything? Well, these guys did, yeah. yeah. They were old, they were old long strummers, yeah. And uh, what they do at night, they just, uh, they let dogs run on the these dogs run throughout the camp, so mm -hmm. you didn't you didn't really want to go outdoors. Right. <laughs> you didn't want to go outside because he's dead. Was a, there was a funny side to that? Somebody said, I forget. We were. I think it was maybe. We remember? I can't remember. Uh, the Russians. Uh, they, there was some Russians in the camp there too, and we got talking about. It. They say, well, they don't they don't let put the dogs in the Russian camps because the Russians eat them. Mm -hmm. They were eating their dog. They, you know, they they'd eat them, so they, they, they didn't do that anymore for the Russians. Anyway, uh, now did you see much of the Russians, or did you just know they were another part of the camp? Yeah, just knew they were there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. But the British is that they the British had their camp right next to ours, mm -hmm. and it was amazing to see some. Some of these guys have been there since Dunkirk, you know. Yeah. And and they had full. They you'd see them with their full dress uniform on. You'd, you'd think they were in Piccadilly Circus in London or someplace. It's, but they've been over there so long that they they were able to get you know communication, food, and stuff from folks at home. Did you have an organization among your own prisoners? And were there senior officers who were in charge yeah. and that kind of yes. thing? Yes, escape and uh, morale, and they had the you know, regular hierarchy of officers for mm -hmm. different functions. And were there people there who'd been there since you know forty-two or three? Uh, or? Yeah, some guys have been down here quite a while. Uh, a couple of things that were amazing: what, what the what the Kriegers that we were called were making out of tin cans. They made all kinds of stuff out of tin cans. In fact, I, somebody was joking said they they finally took the tin cans away because they were afraid we were going to make an airplane and fly out of it. <laughs> I can remember they had they had a show. They, well, we had a theater where we could have programs, and they had a show. And uh, these guys, of course, they had instruments. Mm -hmm. And, and God, you'd think you were in a nightclub in Chicago. These guys had uh, you know dressed up with all kind of fancy stuff on mm -hmm. it. Yeah, and they they built all kind of ingenious. Uh, Things to cook food on too, little cans and stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course, they had made uh, they they made uh, circulation systems, for, you know, for the for escape tunnels too. They mm -hmm. did so much stuff. It was just amazing what they did. Yeah. One, one, one story that amused my wife. She said, "Well, don't forget to tell him this." Uh, I hadn't been there very long, and I, we. we one of the things was you exercise by walking all the way around the compound. And mm -hmm. Guys would do that. In fact, when they were digging the tunnel, what guys would do, uh, they would put it in their uh, bag and in their pants, and mm -hmm. then they would, when they they would just put a little hole and they walk around the compound mm -hmm. and distribute the, the dirt and sand right. all over so they couldn't couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. But and I saw this one guy and I said, my gosh, that looks like a 
a cut, he's got a bit uniform. He had a cadet patch on, didn't have any bars or anything. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was cadet. He was uh, in the uh, uh, in the Gulf Coast Command, and he was on a training flight. I think maybe maybe even primary training, probably primary mm -hmm. training. And he flew all over the Gulf of Mexico, and a German submarine uh, surfaced and shot him down, and they took him back to Germany. Oh. <laughs> it's going to be a tough one to live oh, down yeah, there. Right. Yeah. yeah. Were there any uh, escape attempts that happened while you were there, or no. had the Canadian thing kind of finished yeah. that off? No, they are. They just cut it, shut it right down. I said we're not going. You know, right. too much. At what point did you begin to feel like uh, it was going to be over soon? Well, uh, well, we were uh, we were at, we were at Nuremberg, mm -hmm. and uh, as I said, we've, we were, well, we we got the food up there. Mm -hmm. Now it was long. Afterwards, that they said, "Well, we're going to move you." So they put us out on a road, and we must have been—I don't know—there must have been fifteen, I don't know, maybe ten thousand guys. Mm -hmm. These camps all out on a road, yeah. and they were marching us, and we were going south. And we eventually marched uh, clear down to Roosburg, which is down near Nuremberg. But you know, en route, uh, it wasn't too bad because we could trade with civilians. You know, mm -hmm. guys with the formation, and one guy would one convey a wagon full of stuff, you know, cabbage and. Things to eat. So you still had things you could trade. Well, soap, yeah, you know, get mm -hmm. a soap. soap. And cigarettes were, you know, they were gold. All right. Yeah. Well, let's take this about. Oh, so I'm going to stop it right there. Already said they've taken you out of the camp at Nuremberg. They Nuremberg. put you on the road. Yeah. And yeah. you're just walking and yep. you're trading with locals and so yeah, forth. Yeah, it was, it was it was it was the spring and it was kind of mm -hmm. you know it, was, it wasn't too bad. In fact, we felt like we were kind of living again, really, mm -hmm. getting some fairly decent eggs and. Some vegetables every once in a while, so maybe a chicken. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't too bad. And then we got to uh, got down to uh, Mooseburg. That's where the, our, our final destination was mm -hmm. near Nuremberg. Mm -hmm. And uh, things were really pretty sparse down there. Uh, now was that another established prison camp? Yeah, just being had, added yeah, to? had been. Yeah, yeah, had been. Uh, they uh, well, at this point, you know, the Germans were pretty well beaten up. Mm -hmm. uh, on the way down, I can remember uh, one and so we got into a little little village and we got we got in there about the same time a train did and a f couple of 51s caught that train in the village mm -hmm. and of course they started strafing the hell out of it and boy everybody gets, we get sheets and run out in the field and they'll do a big POW with the mm -hmm. sheets and I don't know whether they, they saw it or not but uh, they kind of pulled up I guess. And, mm -hmm. But they they did get the train. They hit the boiler and thing blew up. And but we that was about as close as we came to getting mm -hmm. There were there were a couple of instances where I forget where the guys were coming out of the camp up, up, up north someplace, and they they, geez, they slaughtered thousands of those guys. They mm -hmm. thought it was a German mm -hmm. battalion or something. Right. They just strafed the hell out. Mooseburg was, uh, I don't know how long we were there, let's see, it was, uh, it was early April, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, we could hear, we could hear the artillery coming, and yeah. <laughs> one day we looked in there, over in the hill, there was a tank up there, <laughs> said, mm -hmm. oh, baby, where things stopped, and they went out, and apparently they had a, apparently they had a parley with them, and uh, I guess they came back, and they, they, they told them, I guess the Germans said they were going to fight anyway, and so that, 
There was a whole lot of bullets whizzing around in there. And what had happened, the, the, the guards, the old guards said, no, we're not going to fight anymore. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, the, and the SS said, yeah, they are. And so they had a little private war going on in there. Mm -hmm. But finally, they, they, you know, they fled, and uh, the, the, the Americans came in and uh, liberated our camp. That was April 29th. Now what happened? Yeah, now what happened once once they got there? I mean, how did they deal with you, or what could they do for you once they arrived? Oh well, I, you know they they pulled into the camp with a with the tanks and mm -hmm. like guys are climbing all over it and whatever they had they were throwing out and it wasn't long and uh, I think it was two or three days later. Uh, yeah, couldn't have been more than two or three mm -hmm. days. They had most of us evacuated. Mm -hmm. They just bring in trucks and load you guys well, up. Well, they, they flew us out. Okay. Yeah, C-47s and sixes, and yeah, they had all the transport they could. Gee, they were lined up mm -hmm. as far as you could see aircraft, and they just evacuated us all out of there. Now, where did they send you to? Did you go to England or uh, France? I, yeah, or? I went to uh, uh, to Paris. Not Paris. I went to France. Mm -hmm. Camp Lucky Strike. It was near, near Le Havre. Was where most of those were. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was up in that area. Because okay, that's one of the exit camps, they prepare you to ship yeah, back home. Right. Yeah, did you right. get debriefed or interrogated at all? I mean, did they ask you anything about what happened to you? Uh, yeah, I, th I think there was. Uh, it wasn't extensive. Mm -hmm. I don't think. I, you know, I think at that point everybody was so anxious to get home. Yeah. They didn't want yeah. to spend a lot of time with me, and I don't know, forget mm -hmm. it. We'll get that later or right. whatever. Right. Right. Attitude. Yeah. So. But one, one uh, incident, the, uh, the the tank commander that liberated liberated our uh, camp. I I was I had never been in Holland, but he was from Holland, mm -hmm. and I, I didn't know that. But years later, I'm talking with him. You know, I got to know him socially, and I'm talking with him, and you know, we get comparing notes, and come to find out, this is the guy. You know, mm -hmm. he, he had the battalion that liberated our camp. Yeah. Well, something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, he unfortunately uh, got in the Battle of the Bulge and didn't come out too good. When he, when all said and done, he really got banged up. But, mm -hmm. yeah. all right. Now you make it. You get to Lucky Strike and so forth. And but how long do you hang around there before they ship you out? Uh, I think it was maybe a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, of course, uh, overindulged in pea soup. I'll never forget that. Got sicker than a dog. Uh -huh. You know. And so many guys overate. That one right. guy ate so many candy bars, he died. You know, mm -hmm. he just stuffed himself with candy bars. It was a real problem for the concentration yeah. camp people yeah. and so forth. They couldn't yeah. eat much of anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just yeah. that was a big danger. You know, it's hard hard to not <laughs> when they're there. You mm -hmm. know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you got on. medical personnel really supervising you. And yeah, yeah, and there wasn't that much really. Yeah. Yeah. And were they now mixing you in with just guys who had not been POWs? Were you all? No, kind pretty of, much. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So how did you get back to the States? Uh, troop ship again. Yeah. Got back on the troop ship. Any incidents on the way back, or was it pretty calm? No, it was pretty calm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then where do you land in the States? We went into New York. Okay. What was it like to be back in, in the States oh, in New York great. at that point? Yeah. Yeah. It was just wonderful. And what do they do for you when you got off the boat? Well, I can't remember anything specific. You know, we just... Uh, I got back to, uh, I got back and then I went over to, uh, I, I don't know whether all POWs went over or not, but I went to uh, Gardner General in, in uh, Chicago, mm -hmm. I guess, you know, for a 
post-checkup to yeah. make sure everything was... Yeah, and that probably is something done specifically for the POWs and yeah. not necessarily for the rest of them. Yeah, usually yeah don't. I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. So we got over there. And then that, that's when they, you know, gave me a good physical checkout. Mm -hmm. Give me my... All right, and then did they give you your discharge at that point? or? Uh, no, I think it came later. Yeah, I, I was home on leave for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know. Was I, whether I was going to stay in service or not, I, I didn't know, but they didn't seem to have much uh, of a program at that point uh, mm -hmm. for, for flying. And I, if, right. I did, if I didn't fly, I didn't want to stay in. I didn't want to be a, just a regular right. grab a grounder, grounder punter, mm -hmm. whatever. But did you uh, sign up for the reserves? or? Yeah, I did. I signed up for the reserves. And I didn't do much. In, uh, mm -hmm. I wasn't very active. It was kind of an inactive reserve status. Mm -hmm. And I just find that kind of... Again, I was so busy at that point, I, I just didn't have, you know, I couldn't see myself spending the weekend here, a weekend there. And what did you do then once you got back home? Did you go back to college again? Yeah, or? I went back to college, yeah, and finished up there and, uh, at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. And what did you have a degree in? Uh, business administration. Okay. And now uh, did you go on and find a job from there? Or? Yeah, I went, uh, uh, my first job was with the FBI. I worked for them for about uh, five years, and then I came to Holland for uh, what I thought was a good opportunity uh, in business with the Holland Furnace Company, which turned out to be not so good. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know whether you know anything about the Holland Furnace mm -hmm. Company, but it's got a history all of it. That's another story. I could tell you hundreds of stories about that place. <laughs> uh, anyway, so then uh, uh, I got married, and my wife's uh, father uh, was running, had a shoe company here, so I went to work for them. I made shoes for a while, which is kind of a romantic uh, endeavor as far as trades go and then I uh, then he's he sold out when uh, you know when the competition from mm -hmm. Italy and mm -hmm. Japan and ever so then I went to work for Donnelly Corporation mm -hmm. and they were that was a very interesting experiment I think in uh, participative management I happened to be there when they were just starting into that and I went through a whole whole well about 15 years of being involved in participative management and it was really an exciting kind of thing to see going on in industry that I'm sorry, sorry that doesn't, mm -hmm. it just doesn't happen anymore. But, uh, well, what characterized what you were doing? Were you actually getting together with the, with the workmen and things like that? Yeah, pretty much. Things? You know, uh, a lot of uh, uh, participation by, the, by everybody. And people on the floor making suggestions about how to save money and mm -hmm. being reimbursed for suggestions and, you know, more... Uh, better benefits, mm -hmm. and they had an opportunity to have a voice in what their benefits would be and actually uh, even what their wages were going to be to some extent. The system that's in place here and there is still, or it's still something that you might learn about in a business program or whatever. Once in a while you hear about a place that works like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, we were, we were voted one of the ten best companies to work for mm -hmm. at one time, and they had been written up several times in a business review about our management system. Mm -hmm. it, it was exciting. When I look back on it, I, I, we had we had so much cooperation, it was kind of hard to believe that, that we, and the thing ran so well and mm -hmm. so smoothly, and people say you can't do it, you know, you just can't, you know, you, you have people that have to punch time clocks, and you have to, you know, you have to write hurt on them, you have to do this, that, and you, geez, you know, mm -hmm. give people a little, put people on their own and, you know, give them some incentive other than money, you know, and mm -hmm. they, they do a good job. Right. Yeah. Right. To look back on the whole thing now, how do you think your, your, your time in the military wound up sort of affecting you, either in terms of how you look at the world or how you deal with people or anything else? Yeah. 
Well, uh, for, for a while I had a, a different attitude about food. I'll <laughs> tell you that. <laughs> for years I ate everything that they put in front of me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that, was, that was one of the preoccupations. You said, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Most of the time we're talking about food. You know? mm -hmm. How, what was your favorite food? Your mother used to do the, do you remember this? Mm -hmm. da, 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 chocolate sodas and ham yeah. sandwiches. And the, I mean, that was, it's just, it just almost consumed you at mm -hmm. that point uh, when you're hungry like that. Yeah. Do you think you learn things about how to get along with other people or work well, with people? Well, th yeah, I think so, yeah. You know, you had to, uh, yeah, you, you just, you know, particularly this, uh, I think what impressed me most is this example between Americans and, and the British. Mm -hmm. I mean, how, you know, how we should be so much more that way that we're not. I just, you know, people are just so self-centered. Mm -hmm. Americans tend to be. And, I, I, you know, and when I think of what the British went through during the, and, and the war, the bombardment there, I don't know whether uh, Americans, how we would have, if we would have stood up that well. Yeah, Hard to tell until they're actually Yeah, tested. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I shouldn't say that because I guess put to the test, sure, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. But it just, there was that contrast. Yeah. Well, when you got back to the States, did it feel at all like there were people who were fussing about an awful lot of stuff that didn't really matter that much? And Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, insignificant things, yeah. yeah. Priorities change, I think. Well, are there other individual incidents or people or things, stuff that kind of comes back to you about that, that time that you haven't mentioned here yet? Gosh, I think I'm probably running out of tape. Oh, I already ran through one. I don't, you ran through one. We have I titled it two? Oh, yeah. You're, you're in number two. <laughs> in number yeah. two. Okay. Well, uh, gosh, not a whole lot. I, uh, it usually happens after I turn the camera off. Yeah. But that, yeah. That, that's just part of life. Yeah. It's All right, it's but, but it's a fine story. You tell it well, and I thank you for taking the time to do it today. Well, I was glad to do it. The preceding program is copyrighted by Grand Valley State University. Visit us at gbsu.edu.